Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today we are at episode number 50, which means we've been approaching almost a year of doing podcasts here at Bethesda. And today you'll get to hear a message from Pastor Roy entitled, Our Great High Priest. Pastor Roy will be looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, and what it means for us as believers to have Jesus as our great high priest. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy as he delivers this message. We will be jumping in a couple minutes into Pastor Roy's message due to some technical difficulties with our sound this past Sunday. We hope you enjoy the message from Pastor Roy at Bethesda Church. Persecution, prison, and all these things that are coming against them, they are tempted to throw in the towel on their faith and go back to the old system. They're thinking, where is the Messiah in all this? The one we had believed in, the one we had hoped for for so long, where is he? We continue to face suffering and persecution. Are you expecting us to continue to hold on to our faith and hope in Jesus as our Messiah? The answer is a resounding yes. He is. He's saying you need to persevere in your faith and trust in this great high priest. So, Jesus is called a great high priest. Why? Because back under the Levitical system, the sacrificial system, they had a priest. Aaron was the priest. He would go before the people. He would offer a sacrifice for his own sin and a sacrifice for the sins of the people. He was a human priest, temporary priest. Jesus is an eternal priest. He is superior to Aaron. He is superior to Moses. He is superior to Joshua. He is a great high priest. Aaron was only called a high priest. Jesus is called a great high priest because he is eternal. And this is what he's wanting us to understand. He is superior to every other priest that ever served in this capacity. He is superior in his work and his character. He's also appointed by God for this office. And this appointment is an eternal appointment. When the high priest, when Aaron served, his days were limited in his priestly service to how long he lived. He died. His service was over as a high priest. His service was temporary. It only lasted as long as his life. Jesus, however, is eternal. He does not wear out. He does not get tired. He does not get weary. He does not get frustrated. He does not get overwhelmed. That's the high priest that you and I have. And that is a wonderful high priest to have. And we have the opportunity to talk to this high priest on a regular basis. Hebrews 7.28 says, The law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath, the covenant, which came after the law, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. He has been made perfect forever. He is an eternal high priest who is perfect. He is the perfect intercessor for us, the perfect person we need to go to. And I wonder if, you know, we had the opportunity, if I, if I was to uh, send out an email this week and say, you know what, we have Donald Trump coming to my office this week, 
You can set up an appointment to meet with him personally and sit down and talk with him and share with him your financial needs and he will have his checkbook with him and a pen. And you just come in and you just share whatever financial need you have and he's going to write you a check and he's going to take care of it. And do you think you would come in with confidence? Oh my goodness, you'd be like, let me, where do I start? And you would just come in and sit down and you would be absolutely free to share with him. And he says, you know what? As a matter of fact, when I leave this office, I'm going to give you my personal cell phone number and you can call me anytime you want and tell me what your financial need is and I'll have my checkbook handy. And I'll always take your call. Wow. We would walk out of here excited. We would walk out of here with a a spring in our step and be so excited that Donald Trump, I've got him in my back pocket. He's going to write checks and cover all my needs. Do you know that's the high priest that you and I have? You say, wait a minute, I've got some bills that I haven't paid. I'm just saying the high priest is there to meet every one of our needs according to his riches and glory. This is the high priest that we have. That's why he's called the high priest. Secondly, he has gone through the heavens. Jesus entered the presence of God when he went into heaven. The priests of Aaron were limited in their service by time, space, and energy. Jesus is not limited in his service by space, time, or energy. He is global. He ministers to all people groups at all times, in all places, in every situation. He is not concerned about the Dow Jones, or what's happening on Wall Street, or how many whales are going to be saved in the next five years. He's not stressed out about that. He's not even stressed out about ISIS, believe it or not, because he knows what they're doing, and he's in perfect control. That is our high priest, and to me, that is a wonderful thing. In a world that is chaotic and crumbling and falling apart, we have a high priest who is holding it together. And he's told us that he's holding it together. If you look down in verse 14, notice of chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. By the way, when did Jesus go through the heavens? When did that happen? After he died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and he rose the third day. That's when he went to heaven. And he was appointed. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. And then he says this in Acts 1. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That was his ascension into heaven. Why? To go to be at the right hand of the Father to be our high priest your high priest and my high priest, that I can talk to about anything, any time of the day or night. When my wife is sleeping and she doesn't want to hear me grumble and complain, I can talk to my high priest. And I think this is one of the weakest areas in the church is prayer. We have forgotten how great a high priest we have. We really have. We do not, oh, what needless pain we bear, the songwriter said, What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We have missed that. We have forgotten what a great high priest we have. Oh, that verse got on there twice. I don't know how that happened. 
Jesus is called also the Son of God. This shows that Jesus became flesh and walked among us. He's the same one who is the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He is the perfect combination of humanity and divinity. And this is a crucial truth because in just a little while we're going to understand because Jesus took on human flesh, he understands my weakness. He understands my struggle. He understands my difficulty in the flesh because he took it on himself. So what is a believer to do in light of this truth? That Jesus is our high priest, that he is called a great high priest, that he has gone through the heavens and he is called the son of God. What is a believer to do in light of this glorious truth that Jesus is our great high priest? Here's what he's asking us to do. Hold firmly to the faith we profess. Look at the very next thing there. Jesus, the Son of God, in 14, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Why? Because we have a great high priest. We have one who is speaking on our behalf before the Father. What a wonderful truth that is. Hold firmly to the faith we profess. In chapters 3 and 4, they're ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to go back under Judaism and under the sacrificial system rather than trusting the high priest, great high priest of Jesus. He says in chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, Look, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, and notice what he says, unbelieving heart that you are not holding firm to the faith. Unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And when here he's talking about turning away from the living God, he's saying living a life of rebellion to God. Don't live a life of rebellion to your high priest who is there for you. Don't turn away from him. He's there. But encourage one another daily. Here's where we as the body of Christ come together to encourage one another, to remind one another we have a high priest in Jesus Christ, a great high priest, and do it daily because we're being attacked daily as long as it is called a day so that none of you may be hardened. Can you sense the heart of the author here that not one person, none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness? We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at the first. He's saying, cling, hang on. Don't throw in the towel. Stay there in the midst of what you're going through. You see, the failure of the first exodus when the children of Israel were coming out of Egyptian bondage, they built the golden calf. They began to worship something other than God. They did not trust in Jesus, their high priest. Is Jesus, our great high priest, able to help us hold firmly to the faith we profess? Or is it all up to us? While we do have a responsibility on our part, God is available to help us through our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. And that's what we're going to look at now. Secondly, Jesus, our great high priest, understands our struggles. Now, I don't know about you, but it's always comforting to know when I share a heartache or a struggle with my wife and she says, I understand, honey. Oh, I understand. You just cry it out. <laughs> I mean, it feels good to be understood, does it not? 
But when my wife says, I'm not following you. <laughs> I don't understand you. What are you talking about? And we've had a few of those. <laughs> that doesn't feel too good. <laughs> then somehow we've got to get down to that level and, and, and to where we can communicate. But when I have a high priest who understands every struggle I have, don't you have friends that sometimes you talk to them and like, they don't know what I'm going through. They don't understand what I'm feeling. They don't understand what I'm thinking. They don't understand the rejection I'm going through right now. They don't understand the heartache. They don't understand what I'm going through. You have a high priest, a great high priest who does. Jesus has the ability to sympathize with our weakness. What does it say in verse 15? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's saying we don't have one who is unable, we have one who is able. He is able to understand my weakness, my struggle. He has a heart of compassion. All I have to do is go to the Gospels and read who was Jesus attracted to in the Gospels. The weak, the sick, the lame, the blind, the deaf. People who couldn't do anything for themselves at all, Jesus was attracted to. And what did he do? He helped them in their weakness. Did he not? That's what he wants to do for you and I. And that's what I appreciate about my great high priest, that he is there for me to help me in my weakness. Because I have a lot of them. And God's able to help me through them. Jesus is trying to show us through the Gospels that we are lame. We are blind. We are deaf. We cannot do anything apart from Jesus, our great high priest. He's able to identify with my faults, my failures, all of my human struggles. Secondly, Jesus was tempted in every way just like we are. You can say whatever you want that people don't understand what you're going through, and that may be true. There may be not another human being that fully comprehends your stress and your struggle, but I can tell you one who does because he knows every cell of your body. He knows every thought before it ever gets to your tongue or my tongue, and he cares. He cares about us. I appreciate that. He understands my temptation and my struggle. He faced every kind of temptation you and I will ever face, and he was victorious over If we went back to Matthew chapter 4, we would see when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil, turn these stones into bread. When did Satan tell him to do that? After he had fasted for 40 days. <laughs> Talk about temptation. Man, we would be dying. We'd kill somebody for a piece of bread. And yet Jesus went through all that. Cast yourself down off this temple. God will protect you and putting him to a test. Fall down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. Jesus faced all that, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he was victorious. And because we have a victorious great high priest, he can make you and I victorious as well. There is no temptation, the Bible says, that has taken us but that which is common to man. But God is faithful he will not allow us to be tempted above what we are able, but will with the temptation do what? Make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. God has made a way of escape for us in temptation. That's encouraging. 
very encouraging. See, Jesus was tempted just like we are. Look what it says here in Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, he had to be made, Jesus, like his brothers in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He was able to do that. He was made just like us in human flesh. So that he would understand our struggle perfectly. That's why men and women will never understand each other, right? I mean, men don't think like women. Women don't think like men. And we're not going to understand the struggles of one another. So we have that tension sometimes. We'll save the rest of that for another sermon. But it does happen, doesn't it? But Jesus faced hunger. He faced loneliness. He faced rejection. He faced disrespect. He faced desertion of his disciples. But he never yielded to temptation one time. That is our great high priest. What a faithful high priest that we have. What is it that people are tempted to struggle with? Came across a 2011 study that tracked the top temptations Americans face. So the people surveyed said they struggled with the following temptations either often or sometimes. The top one on the list was worrying or being anxious. Tempted to worry or be anxious. I'm sure that's nobody here. <laughs> um, 60%. Procrastinating or putting things off, the temptation to put things off, 60%. Eating too much, 55%. Let's move on, that's too convicting. Spending too much time on media, 44%. Being lazy, 41%. Spending more money than they could afford, 35%. Gossiping about others, 26%. Being jealous or envious of others, 24%. Viewing pornography or sexually explicit material, 18%. Abusing alcohol or drugs, 11%. When they were asked, why do you give in to these temptations? Here's the top four reasons they were given why they give in to these temptations. 50% said, I'm not really sure. Don't really know. 20% said to escape or get away from real life. 8% said to feel less pain and loneliness. Jesus understands our mess, and he's willing to help us. Jesus was also without sin. It tells us he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Let's go on to the third one. Jesus says, our great high priest answers our prayers. Sounds simplistic, but that's powerful to me. That the God of the universe hears me, who am I? Now, honestly, if, we, if there was any possible way, what do you think would be the odds of me ever having a conversation with Donald Trump in person? Want to guess? <laughs> One in a billion? <laughs> I mean, honestly, who am I to be in the presence of Donald Trump and ask him anything? Why would he want to give me the time of day? But my great high priest, the God of the universe, has invited me 
into his presence any time I want. <laughs> any time I want. That astounds me. That overwhelms me to think about that. He answers my prayers. Why? Who am I? Who are you? <laughs> we are his creation. He loves us. He cares about us. He wants to minister to us. But here's what he says in verse 16. Let us then, in light of our great high priest, here's what we need to do. Approach. Approach the throne of grace. Oh, that's astounding. To approach the throne of grace. That's what God wants us to do is to approach him. And I can tell you the approach is pretty important, especially if you're an airline pilot. Right, Dwayne? Airline pilots, when you approach in the runway, there's a lot of things that can go wrong on the approach. You can wake people up in a hurry. You can bounce the plane. They say you can do a wheelbarrow thing. Um, you can do other things. Or they said, if you're not sure you're going to land right, they said, take off and, and, and circle around and try it again. And they say, if you don't get it by then, you better take up golf. <laughs> I thought that was interesting when I was reading about that. To know how to land is pretty important. How you and I approach God, listen to this carefully, how you and I approach God tells me what I really believe about God. Isn't that true? If I don't approach him at all or if I approach him very little, I really don't have much faith in this God. He's telling me if I approach God with this attitude that it doesn't really matter whether I pray or not, it doesn't really make that much difference, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. If that's my approach, you don't understand the great high priest in Jesus Christ. Some people have this fatalistic mindset that holds this belief that what will happen has already been decided and cannot be changed. And they're just fatalistic. Garbage. The God of the universe is interested in my prayer and yours. But the Bible goes on to say in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that what? He exists. Our approach has to be we believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When do you do that? What part of the day? <laughs> All throughout the day? Is there a specific time where you earnestly seek this great high priest? And what are you seeking him for? What are you asking him for that is greater than what you can do or I can do? I tell you, one of the things as a church we ask the Lord for is, God, give us, give us as leadership direction for the future of our church. That was one of our prayers a few months back, and we're still praying, God, for direction. And he dropped that property in our lap. That was amazing. That's our great high priest. I don't, know, I don't know how he does those things. He does them because he wants to, because he's God. 
We come to him with reverence and awe. We bow before his presence. We recognize his greatness and his majesty. And we bow in humble gratitude for what he has done for us in the person of Jesus. Not only does how I approach God show how much I believe in God, but how I approach God also shows how much I need God. How much I need him. How desperate I am for his involvement and his intervention in my life. I'm reminded of the story of a little boy named William. He was saying his prayers one night, and his mother tiptoed up and heard him say, And please make Tommy stop throwing things at me. You may remember I've mentioned this before. He's still doing it. There was someone who wasn't going to let go. He was going to believe God and trust God to intervene in his life. He was desperate for God to do something. We need to have that childlike faith. Not only our approach to God, but we have to remember we're approaching a throne of grace. And I've got to remind us, remember, there's no grace in the throne. The, gross, the grace is on the throne. <laughs> it's God himself. It's the one who occupies the throne. The throne is his royal authority, his power. He's saying, that's where I'm at. I'm in a position of power. I'm in a place where I can receive and, 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 and give power to my children and strength to my children. We're reminded in Isaiah 6, 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, That's a throne that the earthly priest never sat in. What is his grace? This throne of grace is a favor done without expectation of return. That's what he's saying. What can I do for you that you cannot repay me for? Zodiades says it's the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. Let me say that again. The absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. In other words, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. (laughs) because I'm generous, because I love you, because I care for you, because I want to encourage you. That's our God. We approach this throne of grace, and we approach it with confidence, with absolute confidence. When I understand who my great high priest is, I should have all the confidence in him for who he is. I shouldn't have uncertainty. I shouldn't have fear or insecurity. It shouldn't be, God, I'm not really sure you want to hear from me, but here I am. No, that's not my attitude. I come with a freedom and a frankness in sharing with God what exactly is on my heart and my mind. Whatever it is. It says in Ephesians 3.12, in him, through and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. 
Hebrews 10.35, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Don't throw in your towel. Hold firmly to the faith you profess. Don't go back to the old system. We approach God to receive mercy and find grace. In the Holman New Testament commentary, I like how he described the mercy and grace. He said, God's mercy prescribes pardon for our many failures. God's grace provides strength for the demands of God's service. We need them both. Mercy for our failures, grace for service to the Lord. Lake Tahoe is the eighth deepest lake in the world. On July 4th, 1875, two men discovered the deepest point in the lake to be 1,645 feet deep by lowering a weighted champagne bottle on fishing line from the side of their boat. Following the invention of sonar, soundings by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration confirmed that depth. Lake Tahoe is so large, if the lake they said were tipped over, its contents would cover California in 14 and a half inches of water. Tahoe could provide every person in the United States with 50 gallons of water per day for five years. The evaporation from Tahoe over the course of one year could supply a city the size of Los Angeles for five years. <laughs> and Lake Tahoe, listen, is a small lake compared to Lake Superior, which is 120 times larger, or the world's largest lake, the Caspian Sea, which is 576 times larger than Lake Tahoe. Our use of water from that lake could never be exhausted. Neither will you and I ever exhaust the mercy and grace of our great high priest. So why not come before him and beg and ask big? Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Where are you at in your life? Are you experiencing defeat in any area of your life? Are you, are you at joy in your life and peace? Are you reconciled to this great high priest? Or are you living like a beggar on crumbs? Are you getting just a few drops from the spigot when God wants to give you the Caspian Sea? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? 
Was there a time in your life where you look back in your history of your life and you remember the time and the place where you said, you know what, I, I, I remember when I was convicted of my sin and I realized that I was at odds with God and I felt guilty over my sin and I needed to confess that sin to God and I confessed it and God forgave me and came into my life and made me a new person. Notice I didn't say a word about baptism. I didn't say anything about good deeds. I didn't say anything about going to church. I didn't say anything about reading the Bible or praying. Those all come later. My personal relationship, the foundation of it is accepting Jesus Christ into my Lord's life as Savior and Lord. Have you done that? If you haven't, I invite you to invite him into your life today. If you are convicted that you are a sinner before God, you are helpless and you are weak and you cannot get rid of your sin yourself, this is the day of salvation for you. And I encourage you to invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your life to forgive you of your sin and make you a new person in Christ. For those of us who are believers, what a reminder that we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who is sitting at the right hand of the Father who is waiting for you and I to come before the throne of grace and to beg him in our weakness, in our struggle, saying, God, I need you. For this, for that, for whatever. I've got this financial need, God. I need your help. I've got this challenging child, God. I need your help. I've got this coworker, God, that is driving me bananas. God, I need your help. God, I've got a physical ailment. It just is so discouraging. I need your help. He's there for us as our great high priest. If you have questions about how you can have a relationship with this great high priest, I'll be shaking hands at the back of the door. I would invite you to come by and speak with myself or somebody else. But please, if God is dealing in your heart and you have questions about that, would you please seek someone out before you leave today. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.